I get my drink up here. I'm Angie and I am an alcoholic. Hi, I'm glad we had all that laughter after all that crying because uh, I think that Patty has such a wonderful talent, isn't it? And she passes it on really wonderful with a lot of dignity and pride. Uh, not the ego pride, but, but the knowledge that it all comes through her and not from her. Uh, this is my talent. This is what, what God has given me. Among the many things that I've experienced, I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I belong here. Huh? I belong here. And I never belonged anywhere else. But tonight, I walk with the dignity of a sober woman alcoholic in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I come to you from Blythe, California. I'd like to thank uh, Linda for inviting me. And I'd like to thank uh, Beth and Angie, uh, yes, San Antonio Angie, for picking me up at the airport and uh, putting up with me all that time. But by the time we came here, they weren't in awe of the speaker anymore. <laughs> Somehow I have that effect on people. <laughs> I live in Blythe. You live in Blythe, California. You all know what Blythe is, don't you? It's where God sends you when he punishes for asking for stuff. <laughs> and the reason I'm there is because there's a man there. There's a man. He croaks tomorrow. I'm out of there tomorrow night. <laughs> but he's just a great guy. We're both dedicated to making me happy. convinced he never had it so good in a woman's places in the mall. <laughs> That's what I'm doing in Blythe, girl. I've given him so much PR that there are 50 of them lined up for, for hoping I croak before he does. I really, uh, I'm, I'm a Mexican, in case you don't know that. Um, I was born and raised in Orange County in California. I'm a native Californian. In the days that I was raised there in the little barrio, you all know what a barrio is, huh? It's a little Mexican community, and we never let any Anglos in, and they weren't too anxious to come in there either. We used to beat each other up and call it fun. I guess we're still doing it. And I was born into a family that wasn't ready for me then, and was never isn't ready for me now. I had an older sister that was perfect. <laughs> she screwed it up for me because I never knew how to be good until after I was bad. And then it's too late and they're always whipping on me. I don't know that I'm a bad child. I just think they're whipping on me because I don't know how to be good. If I had known I was a better child, I held it against them, guys. I held everything else against them. <laughs> And I have a younger brother, and you know who I beat up on. You know what flies downhill. And so they were divorced when I was seven, and my mother would say things to me. My mother has a little purple lip variety. She don't have, don't have blue lips because she's a Mexican. A little purple lip. I think it's pre-Alamana or something like that. I'm not too sure. First of all, when they brought me home from the hospital, I didn't have a name, and the reason for that is because my daddy wanted to name me after his girlfriend, and my mother's narrow-minded. 
So, so when I was seven, they were divorced, and my mother would say to me, you're just like your father. And I knew what her opinion was. I am. She didn't like him so well. So she sent me to the nun so they could teach me to be a lady. And what the nun thought, well, the lady wasn't appealing to me then, and it isn't appealing to me now. In fact, it was boring, and I'm not really high on boring things. I'm an excitement junkie. And... Um, not only did I not know how to be good, but as soon as they said, thou shalt not, it seemed like I had an overwhelming desire to do it. Once I put it in my mind, I just couldn't get it out of there until I did it. And then, uh, so somebody dared me and I raised a nun's curtsy, what she wore under all them clothes, and they really fixed me from catechism. <laughs> But the next day when I got to school, all the kids thought I was terrific. Man, they thought it, I was just the center of attention. Today, you know, nothing much has changed. I still like cornball. But anyway, when I, I was so unexpected to get all that attention uh, and to people come up to me and acknowledge me. Me, I had always felt invisible, that I always had to make excuses for the air was breathing. Me, that there was an emptiness in my soul. Uh, that I was so hungry for love, I'd have given my heart to anybody that would take it. Just anything you want with me, just don't leave me. I was so hungry for love. And so when I got uh, some of the attention, it filled up some of the empty places. I'm one that believes I always had the pilot list. All I ever needed was a few. Uh, I think that my mother uh, remarried and things were going on in our home that we are only now starting to talk about uh, the ugly side of our lives. And my stepfather was uh, getting funny with me. And I went to my mother and I said, well, look here, what he's doing. And she said, you're a liar. You're always a liar. Just because you don't like him, you lie about him. And you know, I felt like a leaf in the wind. There was nobody ever there for me. I was so terrified. And I uh, started to think of answers because there's a level of pain that you just can't, can't live with and you got to find a way out. And I thought, I'm going to go with my daddy. My daddy, certainly my daddy must love me. Now my daddy was over in the San Fernando Valley where he'd taken up light housekeeping with a lady with eight kids and all he wants is one more, right? Yeah. And... Uh, uh, but he used to take people up north to pick grapes and prunes, and we were fruit pickers. And God made two kinds of Mexicans, that's fruit pickers and non-fruit pickers. <laughs> I'm not a fruit picker. They tried to make a fruit picker out of me, and it didn't take. In fact, I don't like to do anything that I don't like to do. You see? And I don't, I know it's a defect of character, but obviously it doesn't offend God. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> and yeah, even Richard knows this, and he accepts this about me. And he tells me that he ever feels like he's going to croak, he's going to run to the freeway and eat a truck so I can get double indemnity on his insurance so I never have to work again. That's what I'm doing in Blythe Girls. <laughs> now we stay beyond the season with the Gallo brothers. And they gave my dad a case of sherry wine, and somebody must have said, Thou shalt not. Because I had a big water glass. I guess it looked kind of like that. 
men and they went after and they went down and went boom. <laughs> it sounds like you put your finger in the light socket. I'll tell you what. It's too bad something that good has to be wasted on social drinkers that don't appreciate it. <laughs> I love that. There was magic in that bottle the first time I ever took a slug of it. And you know I'm a pig from the get. I know that if I feel that way with one slug, I'm going to feel better with 20. And so I do. And then it's the next day. I don't know what happened. I overshot the goal. And uh, when I came to, and you know you come to the next day, unfortunately, I come to, and I'm from the Pachuca days. I'm really a young person in an old container. But we used to, we used to have them big hairdos, and I come to the next day. all over yourself and your clothes are torn. You know something terrible happened. You don't know what it is, but you know it was terrible. And so it's so much shame. There was a sense of shame of being dirty that went all the way through me when I come to. It seems to me I started a lifetime of looking at people's eyes, trying to figure out what I had done. Terrified to know and terrified not to know. You see, I was always like that. Those things always happened to me. But I never, never was knew that I could live my life without something to ease life for a little while. Shortly after that, I found out that I wasn't wanted there either. And so I started fantasizing going home again. And so I went back to my mother's and she said I could not come home. I was just a child, but she said they'd been free of me over a year, and I was just too incorrigible. And I was 13 years old, and I looked at little girls 13 years old, and I was never that young. It always seemed that I had to suck it in and put it out there. Yeah, and uh, I started living here and there and anywhere that I could for a little while, babysitting with friends. I, I mean, I wasn't living in the street because in those days there wasn't very many people like, like me. We just used to live with friends and friends of my mother and keep on going and babysitting. And there was a friend of my mother that took me in, and I babysitted for her, and I liked her because she let me do everything I wanted to do, but she didn't feel any sense of responsibility, I guess, or whatever it was. Maybe I just was too willful and like having a, a comment by the tail. Anyway, um, this is the time that I discovered the booze and the boys in the cha-cha-cha. Yeah. <laughs> I love them parties. We Mexicans, we have them parties in the cuts and don't come two or three times if there isn't any knifings or shootings. We ain't had no fun. <laughs> I was one of the original topless, bottomless dancers in them parties. <laughs> and I don't even remember it. I don't even get paid for it. And I don't even. But the girls always want to tell me what I did the next day. So I used to beat them up, and then they don't tell me. Because violence is the way I handled anything that was embarrassing, anything that I was afraid of. And um, I don't know how to work because I'm just a child, so I take up burglary. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Your things are much more interesting than mine. <laughs> I really was surprised when the state of California discovered me, and they sent me up uh, to do a little bit of time. Before that, they took me before a judge, uh, and they said my mother and all the mother purple-lipped people, you know, they're on and with that look, you know, the look, we told you so. We told you that, that contempt. Oh, Jesus. 
And I put my collar, we used to have a, those fatigue men's shirts, the put my collar up and scrunched down on my seat. And the judge asked me, well, young lady, what do you think we ought to do with you? I said, well, you're the judge, man, you ought to know. But that was a wrong person to have that attitude. He said, me and my attitude are a little bit of time for the state of California. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a child. I'm, I just turned 18 at the time. And uh, uh, so he said we have to do uh, nine months, and I do 13 months because I don't know how to be good there either. But, you know, that really is scary. I thought I'd be the only gray-haired little old lady in the girls' reformatory because I'm a walking bus. Everything that I ever did, I ever, always get caught at. And so when they finally let me out, I took my first inventory because I'm one... The inventory of my life, not of me to understand. But I'm one that always wants to, to live in the answer and not in the problem. I mean, I don't have a job. I don't have an education. I don't have a home. I don't have any money. I don't have anybody there for me. So I'm thinking, what in order? I can't go through with it. I, I better go out and find me a husband because God knows I need somebody to take care of me. So I went out looking for a husband in places that husbands are not to be looked for. And unfortunately for both of us, I found one. You see, there's a certain kind of man always caught my attention. Usually they, they got lots of muscles and they have real tight t-shirts. They walk with a little slouch. They got tattoos usually that says mother and born to lose. And they got greasy hair and all teeth and shiny eyes and they say, what's happening, baby? Oh, God, Today that still gives me goosebumps. I used to think that look was charisma today. I know it to be psychosis. <laughs> My sponsor says you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit, but we try. <laughs> he was a mainline heroin user, and you just don't live happily ever after with one of those. But he he built them castles in the air, and I lived in them. And three, three months later, we were pregnant, and I was married in that order. And uh, uh, he started sharing them stories about me, and he doesn't want people talking that way about his wife. So he decides I should stay home. But he ain't staying home with me, so I don't stay home silently. Yeah, he comes home. We are always. I was jumping first. I always. I always walked around and looked all bad. So look what he done to me. I never told anybody I was jumping first. I had to because he would ask. He would. Challenge me. How do you, he, and you better not talk that way about my mother, because I always talk about his mother or who his who I thought his father really was, his grandmother and everybody. Just turns you start on, you just can't stop. It becomes good. Of course, then he'd say, "You better shut up, or I'll hit you." Well, don't tell me. I'll. So yeah. Anyway, that's the way it was with him and I. We were quite equipped for parenting. I'll tell you what. Uh, and uh, uh, he don't want me to drink. Well, I'm a good Mexican wife. I want to stop drinking too. Uh, but he introduces me to little white pills with crosses on them. I don't know what they are, but I sure knew what they did to me. I had one eyeball over there and one over there, and I'd make baby clothes all night long. <laughs> Could not tell whether it was time for me to put it together or tear it apart. I, 
I could have more fun just by myself. I, I listen to the mariachi music, drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, chew gum, clean my house with a toothbrush, all at the same time, have more fun with me and me and me and me and me. After three days and three nights, I think it's good, and I could only sleep. My brain just jabbed that glass. Because the all I wanted was that feeling that I got. All in my body, where I just did not care. Because you see. was my problem. So By the time I had my baby, I realized this man didn't want to be married, and I thought he doesn't want to be married to me. He found out that thing about me that everybody does sooner or later, and he doesn't want to be married to me. So when he... <laughs> my arms, I felt like finally, finally, somebody belongs to me. She belonged to me. She was my baby. She inspired feelings within me that nobody ever has before or since. You see, I was a child in a woman's body, and I loved my baby. I would sit by the hour, and I would promise my baby I would never beat her, abandon her, and discard her as I had been. And I meant it with every fiber of my being. If I could have been any bit different for anybody, it would have been my baby. I loved her so much. 
But I'm an alcoholic and I'm a woman alcoholic. And when I drink, I have absolutely no choices and no rights. When I drink, I'm going to do what's in front of me to do because it's there to do. I don't know why I do those things. I just do them. I never can think of the price later on. And when I drink, I've got absolutely no rights. Anybody can use and abuse me in any way that they want. And I apologize. And I apologize. And so I took that baby and her sister to places that children should not be taken because I'm an alcoholic. After the second one was born, I left their daddy. He said when he left me, even the dogs are going to look at me. And I believed him. I looked in the mirror and I felt and looked so ugly. I felt older at 22 than I do today at 62, don't you know? I, uh, um, I left him and I went out uh, looking again. And I got a look. I've never been enough just for me. I went out and I fell in love. And when I fall in love, I fall in love all over my body. Every inch of me falls in love forever. I can't remember the names of some of the men I've fallen in love with. The faces changes, the feelings that stay the same. This time it's going to be different. The guy I fell in love with, his name was Danny, but his nickname was CB, and that stood for crazy bastard. So you know. Those were the men that turned me on. Those were the men. They had a little, I had a sign on me that says, beat me up and I'll love you forever. <laughs> and uh, I spent five years as an unprotected by drinking woman. I know the feeling of degradation and self-loathing that a woman alcoholic goes through when, when she drinks in bars and she's not protected. And you get talked to in ways you don't want to be talked to. We are so incredibly sensitive. You wouldn't believe that by the hard shell that people like me have to project to the world. But you see, I just put a smile and say, I don't care, I don't care. But I always cared. I always felt so dirty. And um, many times I would come home where there was not enough chemicals inside of me to kill what I had. In the cold water shack when I would turn the light on. The sink would be black with cockroaches, and there was mice in the filthy floor. And in this shack, there were two little girls that the romance of being a mother had long since died, and their responsibility for them choked me. They were in my way. I just wanted to go out and do my thing. Uh, and I wanted to go out and party and drink and never, never come back. Never, never come back. And they were a constant reminder of their need. And they would have their arguments and their quarrels and their little bickering in silence uh, because they were terrified. They didn't know that they, they woke up the monster before uh, she was ready. Please don't take my picture from the podium. And um, that uh, they weren't sure that when I would come to, I would hug them or I would start yelling, and then I would start hitting them. And once I started hitting them, it was like a sheep would come down, and I had no more control. I would hit him and hit him. You see, all the inner rage would be tapped, and I would just hit him and hit him. And I wouldn't stop, and I couldn't stop until there was blood, until there was tears, until there was swing. This is the ugly side of my disease, don't you know? If there's any part of my life that I would have rather not have experienced is what I did with those little girls in the midst of my incredible illness, you see. Uh, and uh, I think that you and I have to go to those steps in our own particular way in order to get to the place that we can say, I am so grateful that I don't have to live that way anymore because I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous.
Well, I had a long journey to go before that day. What happened to me, after five years I got so tired of uh, men and bars and dances. It was over for me. I started getting letters from my husband that my son here in Texas getting the cure over in Fort Worth. Huh? And he says, babe, this time it's going to be different. And you know, there's nothing like the dopey men when they, when they quit using, they lift weights and eat good. And he looked great. And I clutched at straws. And, and so it was different. He went back and uh, he was courting me and, I, and I, he caught me drinking. And he said he didn't want me to drink. And I laughed in his face. And so he knifed me. And, uh, and uh, so I carried a gun and uh, uh, I was going to kill him if he came near him because I, I was scared of him. So he called me up and uh, apologized to me. So we ran off to Las Vegas to get married. That's, uh, I just want to explain to you the places I come from. And we made a Mexican Geographic. We moved about 20 miles from Mama to a little town by Riverside, near Loma. Life has been called the armpit of California. But my experience in Miraloma has been that it's another part of the anatomy not worth mentioning. But uh, it was there. It was there. It was there. I come to the place of my drinking, where I drank and I drank and I drank and my body's drunk and my mind's in agony. There is no way I can kill that madness inside of me anymore. We had joined the PTA and we had married him in the Catholic Church and did all these outer things that other people do. I'm a firm believer they can put me in the best of circumstances. And sooner or later I have to create the madness that is inside of me. Because it's inside of me that the disease lies. It's nothing in the outer can influence what's going on inside of me. Today it's me that I care that carries inside of me. Just like I was then. I just wanted to die. I got so tired. I started reading the Bible looking for answers. I started going to different churches and studying with different people. Just praying, God, please help me. I knew there was a God. I could never not believe. I just knew that he didn't like me for some reason. I read in the Bible one day that God made the goats and the sheep, and some people were goats. They didn't even have a choice, and that really made me mad at God that I didn't have any choice. And so I got, uh, I saved my city bills, and I said, I'm going to check out. I'm going to kill myself. And I couldn't do it with those little girls there by themselves. So I waited until this man was home, because by this time he's making the run to his connections in Orange County, and, and I'm, of course, going to the wineries. And uh, I, I waited until he was home, and, and I told him, I'm going to kill myself. And he said, okay, and went back to watching television. We had a slight communication. <laughs> Yeah, he was emotionally unavailable. <laughs> I went and took a bath and cleaned my house and washed the clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Just in case I died, they wouldn't know how I lived. Huh? <laughs> I took a handful of pills and went to bed to die. And I was relieved. I read once about something not too long ago that says, if you know somebody that's very suicidal and all of a sudden they're giddy and looking really happy, it's because they've made a decision. You see, that's the way it was for me. I felt peace a couple of days before I, I knew that I was going to check out. I guess I took enough pills to kill a horse and all I did was sleep two days and two nights or some variation thereof, you know, everything so far. But I do remember one thing. 
When I came to, I didn't have my pajama bottoms on. I had been in that coma with, in both nights, and never once did he consider taking me to a doctor or to a hospital, don't you know? I felt like a piece of meat that nobody wanted. I came to on what had got to be the loneliest day of my life, when I couldn't drink and I couldn't be sober and I couldn't live and I couldn't kill myself. No place to go. And I woke up in a pit of self-pity, so deep and so black, there was no way out. When I look upon that day with some semblance of objectivity, I realize my higher power has always had upon his head and upon my life, even upon that day. You see, that very day when there was a knock on the door, there's a lady from the PTA. If there's somebody I didn't want to see, the lady from the PTA. <laughs> and there stood Mrs. Clean. Say hi. I must have been downwind from her. Because everyone is wrong. And I never tell anybody anything, but I told her what was wrong. She came in and she listened to me, and I told her all about this SOB and all the promises he had made and how he had fooled me one more time. I don't know how you are, but I know when I've talked too long. There's a certain zeal that comes in people's eyes when I've talked too long. And this lady had it, and something in me said, uh-oh. <laughs> What happened is this lady asked me if I ever heard I Alamon, and I've never heard I Alamon, but I got the idea that if I went there, he would straighten up, or I'd kill him, one or the other. So she got me cleaned up. She stayed with me and cleaned me up and took me to Alamon. And somehow I didn't quite fit in in Alamon. I felt a little bit like a whorewood in a nunnery. There was absolutely no identification between me and them square broads. But I remember, I remember that they hugged me. Them Alanons hugged me. Now I never belonged anywhere. So why, why should this be any different? But them Alanons, they hugged me. I smiled at them. Someplace along the line, somebody had told me I had a beautiful smile. Probably some guy wants a little something more than me than my smile. But anyway, I put on that. <laughs> the lights are on, but there's nobody home looking. You know. I found out years later they used to laugh at me. I thought I was fooling them. I didn't hear nothing. This lady comes every so often to take me there and take me. I don't want to go there. I mean, they make me feel too too bad. They look so clean. And so, but I don't know how to say I'm a people pleaser. I don't know how to say I don't want to go. So, uh, one day I heard the word release. God, that was a revelation for me. I went home and told him in detail how I was going to release him. So he, he, used to sleep, he used to sleep with his clothes on and a knife under the pillow. And I put a big black coat on and sit in the corner and watch him. When he'd be a dozing off, I'd go take a little peek at him and he'd go, oh, God. I just loved that. It was almost sexual. It was and he would say unkind things to me. He'd say, baby, I may have a monkey in my bed, but you got an orangutan. And uh, he one day I came home and he was gone. He wasn't planning on coming back. And bed luck always comes in bunches. It was at that time they kicked me out of Alamon. What happened is they got together and they found out there was a fraud among them. And they were going to throw me over to their husbands, who they didn't like either. And uh, they designated this poor soul that, that inflicted me upon them to take me there. So she comes and picks me up one one night, and 
and, and took me to, uh, to Pomona to an old dilapidated old house and took me around the back. I'm a Mexican, so they're taking me around through the back door. And then she takes me through the kitchen where all the alamans are doing whatever alamans are doing in the kitchen. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I'm not looking at their eyes. I'm not going to give them the, the, the look of triumph by having them see the contempt they have for me. I just look at my feet and I walk through them. I walk right through the middle of them, knowing the shame. You know the shame that I felt because I was kicked out of them people and they found out who I was. I walked into this room and listened to the sounds of alcoholics and others. I listened to that belly laughter that smiled and reaches the soul that shine in the eyes and that happy talk and those are the sounds of alcoholics and others. I don't know them I don't know the words, but I heard the music. The music that Patty so beautifully sang tonight. Huh? The music of the love of one drunk for another, you see. I don't know what it is. And I, I just wanted it. And you come and you be lucky like me. I just sat back there and let it wash over my soul and I hungered for it. I wanted it. I thought it's too bad I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> Another 
dormitory was. Oh, Kitty had big blue eyes and blonde hair, and I have an affinity for blue eyes and blonde hair. And he's talking. He says he don't have a girlfriend, he don't have a surfboard, he don't have a car. And I think to myself, come here, little boy, I'll take care of you. I was 32 and he was 21. And oh, it was wonderful. And um, now, now, girls. He don't know what hit him. He thought a truck hit him. But you know, we all have our place. After that relationship was over, he decided to become a minister. And I'd, I'd like to think that somehow, in my small way, I could not push him over to God. I don't like women and I don't trust men. And that don't leave you much. And I didn't know what I was going through was called withdrawals. I thought it was sobriety. No wonder I never liked it. When you walk around with any skin and you have blackouts over, when you can't tell from one one minute or another, for half an hour I could be a higher kind. Half an hour I could either be trying to kill me or you. So, you know, it was my poor kids. Remember all this time? There's two little girls there. Two little girls. And I'd like to, to know that he was the first man that had ever been kind to me. He was the first man that had ever been gentle with me. And everywhere that he went, he wanted to take me with him. Me that had always been abused and misused by every man. I'd have stayed there forever, you see. I would clutch with a death grip and say, do anything you want to me. Just don't leave me. That fear of abandonment not come together by accident. I truly believe we come together by divine appointment. By divine appointment. And yet every relationship has its beginning and its parting. And when you go on your way, you take a little bit of me with you, and you leave a little bit of you behind, and we're never the same because our lives have touched. I didn't know that then. I just turned my will and my life over to anybody. It would be kind to me. I was so tired of it. And he became my higher power. And when he drank, so did I. Uh, it was not my worst drunk. It just seemed to be the most hopeless one for me. I couldn't drink and I couldn't be sober and I couldn't live and I couldn't die. I tried Alcoholics Anonymous and it didn't work either. I remember one night I put a plastic bag over my head and threw a rope over the beam in the closet. And I was going to hang myself. And my children ran in and threw their arms around my knees and they said, Mommy, please don't kill yourself. Oh, for God's sake, the children of the alcoholics. It just so happened that the next day a man named Carson called me. I don't know how he got his my number. And he said, let's go to a meeting, Angie. I said, I can't go. I've been drinking. He said, come to a meeting anyway. Carson was the kind of man that people always said, preyed on young, uh, newly sober women and alcoholics. And all. I don't know about that. I know that Carson never said anything out of line to me. But he, he was the messenger that saved my life. And uh, the miracle for me is not that I've come back to Alcoholics Anonymous. The miracle is that I'm still here. And that uh, last December the 22nd, I celebrated my 29th birthday. Oh, 
we say, we say, and I have mouthed it myself, I am a miracle. The miracle is Alcoholics Anonymous. That is the miracle. As long as I stay connected to the steps, as long as I stay connected to you, the miracle happens to me. As soon as I disconnect, notice how the miracle uh, withers and dies. Too many of my friends that were part of the miracle have gone out, you see. I don't ever want to forget that the power is only in this room. That I, this is my reality check. Alcoholics Anonymous meetings with the, with the rest of the people. And my journey began, and it's been quite a journey. I died. It helps to come to Alcoholics Anonymous desperate. I really believe this is God's life. That one was mine. This one belongs to Him. To do is as He will. Uh, but I didn't know that, that in the beginning, they all know more than me. And God, did I step up to be called alcoholic from some of the things I've been called. <laughs> in the beginning, they all know more than me. After a while, I start knowing something. And I have my heroes. Johnny Harris is my hero. Johnny Harris instilled the love of Alcoholics Anonymous inside of me. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. And Johnny showed me how. He told me that I needed to learn to be an example of this program, to act all with dignity and self-respect so that I would be a program of attraction, that I might be the only big books that people would ever read, to, to wear my sobriety not only with dignity but with reality, you see, to be able to share it with you who I am, not who you want me to be, you see. I'm into feeling good, not looking good today, uh, and I have learned it very slowly. Because, you know, I'm a phony from the poor kid. I just want to do what, what pleases you so that you can write me, so that you can have me in your so that you don't have the look of disgust in your eyes. And I didn't know how to do that. I only lived in a cold, dark room without any structure, without any guidance, without anybody to depend on. I couldn't go to America come here and let everything down. It just took a lot of one day at a time. It helps not to have no place else to go. It really helps not to have anybody there for us. Because if I could have used anybody and had one more choice, I would have had another speaker here tonight. <laughs> After a while, I know more than some of you. And then the day came, I hated a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I came here, they talked about resentments. I didn't have any resentments. I didn't even know what character was, but I knew it wasn't very good to have resentments, and I didn't have any. You see, all my life, I never had any, re any resentments. I had either I loved you or I hated you. But one or the other, I had like a measuring stick. From zero to a hundred with no numbers in between. Is that the way I, and I had, so when they said resentments, I said, no, I don't have those. God removed them, I don't have any defects. <laughs> the day came when I hated this guy. I hated the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he smoked, the way he sat, the way he breathed. And I knew because I watched him all night long. <laughs> Newcomer, I'm supposed to go to a meeting every night. They told me I, I went to a meeting every night for two years. I didn't know you could get there later, leave early. I just they had told me what to do. It helps to be done. And now can I have your marbles? Half a brain. <laughs> it helps to have anybody with half a brain. <laughs> the inside joke over there. <laughs> So I went to some of the motels. I don't like women anymore just because I'm sober. I don't like them women that got a lot of time because they look at me. I don't know what they're seeing, but whatever they're seeing, I don't want them to see it. 
they got a look in there I don't want her to see. Huh? So I stay clear of them. I don't like these young women either. Because I got that young kid with me, that, that sweet little sweetheart. I'm like a monkey with a smunker. <laughs> Don't breathe, honey. I'll breathe for you. <laughs> but the men were always so kind. It helps to be 32 and sick. Boy, them guys, you know, they always feel so protected. I know that it ain't this love. It's not love. So sometimes it seems. I didn't even know anything about love at that time. I'm so glad they liked me. I'm so surprised that anybody ever made a pass of me. And, uh, um... I went to some of those guys that looked like they're talking at me for the talking. I put my smile on and they're like, how do you get over resentment? And they say, turn it over easy, does it, this is shop every one day, I'm going home with the book, coming back and don't drink. <laughs> so I went home and did it, and I come back the next night and look at the hate. <laughs> you know, a resentment goes through a phase where you just love to hate them, but you, you all just love to hate Just stay that way, you can, you can resent them forever, but don't stay that place. So I went to somebody else the next night because... I, told, I didn't want to go back to you. No, I was a dummy, so I go to somebody else and they say, Oh, turn it over easy, does it this two shop as one day at a time? Keep coming back and don't drink. After a while, I got the message. You don't know the answer either. <laughs> either that or you go find out there's a fraud among you. Maybe I'm not really an alcoholic. <laughs> one day we were in a meeting and he was, he was talking and I tuned him out. You know, somebody told me, Say that serenity prayer 10,000 times for him. <laughs> so he's talking and, and I'm saying the serenity prayer and he starts to cry. And I come to him and I say, he's crying. How embarrassing, he's crying. Hasn't he ever heard of John Wayne, Iwo Jima, Pancho Villa, and Emiliano Zapata? Somebody forgot Sissy's prayer. Sissy's and women cry, not men. After the meeting, guess what? They all go put their arm around him. Oh, Jesus. I got to go give him a hug. Oh, I didn't want to get near him. What I had was bad enough. I thought what he had was contagious. So I went and gave him one of them stiff arm hugs. You know them stiff arm hugs? He didn't have no class. He just came right in, put his hair on my shoulder and started to cry. And that was really surprising to me. Something happened to me at that moment. And I realized that the pain in him reached out and touched the pain in me. Because certainly I had known pain. And the love that you had been showering through me now boomeranged and turned around. And I was able to show something toward him other than contempt. You know, they talk a lot I hear about, and it was mentioned earlier, about being on the outside looking in. Even here I had felt like there was an invisible wall between us. And we could, I could see you. And you could see me, but we just could not seem to connect. The book also says that we will be rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, the light that which we would not even dream of. You see, and that was what happened to me then. I learned the love of one drunk for another, and my, and my next phase on my journey began. Uh, I married that young man. A lady had volunteered to be my sponsor. Uh, I had asked him, well, I would be my sponsor. I'm not taking a chance. Somebody saying no. And she said I had to give up that young man or one day he'd give me up. There was to be the age difference. And uh, experience-wise also. And then I learned, had to learn, stay home and learn to be a mother. Uh, or one day I would be sorry. 
And I don't know if you try to be a mother when you know, don't know. I didn't go to school to learn to be a mother. I never had one. That Not really. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to have uh, family days. You ever want to have family days with teenagers? <laughs> all they, they want to do is say, uh, give, me, give me the cash, give me the credit card, give me the keys, get out of my way. That's what they want, but I want to have family days. We wind up having this big fight, and I wind up slapping them for the things they say to me. It was just terrible. So I thought about it, and I gave up the sponsor. She made me feel guilty. <laughs> and getting rid of sponsors is like getting rid of empties. You know, they're easy to get and hard to get rid of because you run into them all the time. And uh, so I don't have a sponsor. God was my sponsor, and my head was my sponsor. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, well, I paid my prices, too. And... Um, Later on, I got a sponsor that was over like 23 years, and she used to speak to me in 23 years, and I didn't know what she's talking about. I just said, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Go to meetings and show up, and I guess that's all I really did. And the time came when my other father said, it's time. It's time. It's time. I've carried you. And I know today that the first year belongs to me, the self-centeredness of it all. But after that, it belongs to Alcoholics Anonymous. And my life belongs to Alcoholics Anonymous. Today, it belongs to Alcoholics Anonymous. But my higher power is, is so funny the way he gets uh, my attention. Uh, I came home one day, and my children were drunk and uh, uh, full of whatever they were out. They were taking their tongues hanging out. And we had a big fight, and I hit them, and they told me what kind of a mother I've been. And, they hit me back, and my then my little my little boy husband got in the middle. I hit him too, so he got out of the way. <laughs> I went into this terrible depression. I was the best me I had ever been, and here I was a failure, even as a business owner. Everything that I ever wanted—a home, a husband, the children, sobriety—everything I had, and I was coming up empty. Huh? And I, so I had a nervous breakdown. You see, I was going on self-will. I did not really do the third step. I would mouth it, but God would take care of my drinking. But there were other things that needed my attention. I had no clue one about letting go and letting God. And uh, uh, I had I contemplated an attempted suicide. The young men went and took me to the psycho ward, packed his clothes and left. And everything that I ever feared came about. And the reason I stand before you is because there are women in Alcoholics Anonymous, you see. The toast burner women. I got, I got sober in toast burner country. They've never been out of the black. And, and I don't think they ever slept with anybody but their husband. And I thought, it would be easy that to give up drinking if you drank that way. But I found out through them toast burner women that saved my life. That there's nothing like devastated pain to make all them walls come down, you see. And it didn't matter anymore what you knew about me. I just told you how I felt. You shared the secrets of your heart with me, and I shared the secrets of my heart with you. And I realized we were not so different. Maybe I felt dirty in bars, and you felt dirty in your kitchen. You see, in fact, your job was harder because I didn't have to be nothing to anybody and you had to suck it in for whoever that you needed to there at your own home. So I knew that I took the easy way, but it didn't matter. We both all came through at the same time. So it is from the women that I learned to be a woman. And you taught me. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, we became each other's mamas. I never had a mama. 
My mama and I never were able to be anything than oil and water to the day she died. She was never there for me. She didn't know how, you see, because I'm a transplant, you see. I belong with you. I have been mothered by the women in Alcoholics Anonymous. And when you've needed this, I've mothered you. And that's how it is with us here. That's why the, the connections of the people in Alcoholics and the women is incredible. There's a woman in my life that as I stand here and we stand here is dying. And she's been my sponsor for 19 years. So when Patty was talking about the friendships, it reminded me of Mary Reagan, my sponsor. It's my spiritual mother. She has taught me. She has spoon-fed my soul. I'll call it anonymous. She was not my sponsor then, but she became my sponsor. I moved to Orange County because I had to. The, the men in Alcoholics Anonymous treated me like a lady, and I learned to be a lady. But it was because I threw myself completely and absolutely into this program without any reservation whatsoever that I walked home with dignity and self-respect tonight. I made peace with my God. I said, okay, God, I'm never going to be happy again. All you ever want me to do is work with a sick woman, drunk, let him puke on me, all right. All right. <laughs> and when I got to the other side, you, then, you know there's another side you have to walk through. The part where you just hate everything and everybody you want to get a shotgun and put it about two inches from his belly and let the gore rain over on you. And you can run him down there on the freeway back and forth to his flat like a tortilla. My sponsor, my sponsor assures me they don't lock you up for being crazy, only for acting crazy. And she says that the reason God has not removed all my character defects is because I would disappear. <laughs> my sponsor talks to me, sponsor, I'll tell you what. She says, Angie, you're upset in your own shit just because it's warm. And when I go to her whining about something, you know, I find good. And Mary goes, no, no. She says, who's not doing it your way? You know, that really makes me mad because it's true. If, everybody, if everybody's doing it my way, I'm happy. I'm real happy. I don't have to do nothing. If God is and everybody's doing it my way, it's wonderful. Let them cross my path. Look how miserable I get. And I have learned here. If you're interested, the last page of Step 7. In the 12 and 12, explains the disease and the answer to that. And it has helped me a lot to know that all I really want is to live at peace with other people and with myself and with my God. And uh, I found something else. Uh, it, uh, when I got to the other side, I touched a power and a strength that was way down inside of me. And I knew that nothing and nobody could ever own me again. Nothing and no, uh, nobody could ever own me again. After all that's said and done, there's only you and me, God, anyway. All that I wanted from them people, they never had it to give you, you know. My higher power is the only one that has what it takes to fill up all the empty places inside of me. If I but wait and listen, you see, sometimes the answer, there's answers to the prayers, and sometimes it's no, sometimes not yet. Sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's you've got to be kidding. <laughs> I started with a woman, working with a women alcoholics. I went to the 12-step houses, picked them up, got me, bring them to my house, give them money. You know how we do that? And they think I care. I don't care. I, I just do it because I'm supposed to. 
That's why I do it. Not because I care. But you see, something happens. God throws in the joker. I have to see if I care, and one day I do. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and when I cared for you, felt exactly the way I thought you loving me would feel like. When you love me, you love me, you love me, so what? But when I loved you, my heart sang. My, my cup runneth over. And you know, my cup runneth over. I've been saying this for so long. And what keeps on growing is a container. A container. In more ways than one. Self-acceptance does not come from saying good things. Self-acceptance comes from doing for other people. And then it comes self-approval. That's what I found out. First thing I have to do is quit bidding myself up in front of the mirror. My children came back. I don't even want them to come back. They came back one at a time. They went They went to work. I went to school and became self-supporting through my own contributions. I'm one of those ladies that had to learn to live alone to find out the difference between being alone and being lonely. Huh? I lived alone for nine years. I knew that because I'm an alcoholic, I don't drink. Because I'm a thief, I don't steal. My sponsor won't let me. And that, uh, <laughs> And because uh, I don't know how to do it and there isn't any life after marriage, I ain't getting married one day at a time. Uh, I could, besides, I could get married any weekend I wanted. And so I learned to live alone. And I liked it. My, chil- my children went on to in, in their disease. My, my oldest one got married. And my older sister started drinking the way I did. And I tried to, tried to straw step her and she never thought she was as bad as me. And she chose to take her life, and it was my destiny to be the one to find her. And death had never touched me that close, and I could not believe what was before my eyes. I wanted to explode, but I did. Something came together inside of me. I called you. I called you. My Irish Annie, I called. You that know I am. And um, you came, and something came together that says, says God is the only giver and the only taker of life. And she chose to go, and he let her go home. How many times did I want to die? could never kill myself. But he has spared me because I have a child. I am God's melody of life, and he sings this song through me. Someplace, somewhere, there's somebody that needs to know the places I come to. His hand is always light whenever it is heavy. Two weeks after my sister killed herself, I became a grandma for the first time. I never knew how to be a mother, but I'm a good grandma. <laughs> I tell you, them kids try to think to this day that Santa Claus and Grandma means the same thing. <laughs> I finally found out how to get along with kids. Just give them everything they want. <laughs> I am now a great grandmother. And his name, it's a little boy. He hasn't got a chance to snowball in hell. To, to, uh, um, to a, a great-grandmother and a two daughters. And the daughter, the daughter had two daughters. So he's the only boy. And his name is Awesome. <laughs> it's, it's Andre, but we call him Awesome. <laughs> What happened to me around that time was that I fell in love again. Oh, Jesus, I don't want to be in love, but I fell in love with a newcomer. If there's a, 
any spiritual giants here that it offends, I want you to know it offended me. And um, I was working as, as a therapist in an uh, alcohol hospital, and he was one of my patients. How's that for tacky? But, uh, <laughs> I have a measure of integrity. I didn't make any moves on him. Uh, he left, and he went to Blythe, and he kept calling and sending presents, and I had surgery and sent flowers every day. But I'm a sucker for all He was a, a cowboy farmer. I, I, he spoke Spanish. He speaks Spanish like a Mexican. He's born and raised in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And I had never known anybody like him, and he had never known anybody like me. <laughs> I took him to a convention with me once when we were still a little bit... <laughs> and, uh, my friend Frank Sloan was coming up, I think he had five or six weeks, something like that. And my friend Frank Sloan was coming over, and, and he said, Hi, he said, and I knew it was coming. I knew it. And he looked at him, and he looked at me, and said, Is he with you? I was kind of hiding. He said, is, he, is, it his, is he one of us? Well, he keeps his nose. He's like and uh, Eyes are still spinning, and he says, uh, he has a, his, his head's going like those little dogs in the Mexican cars, and he goes, See, how long's that guy been sober? And I don't know if I'm He said, Jesus Christ, and you give that poor guy a break, let him get sober first. Well, it hurt my feelings, so I went and told my sponsor, Go, 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 go. She said, Angie, he's a nice guy. Just tell him you scooped him in before somebody else did. If you don't want him, I'll take him. <laughs> Good enough for my sponsor. If you're afraid somebody's going to find out something about you, just tell him. So what? It's the, the secrets that make the gaps between you and me. It's the secrets that make me hate myself. It is the secrets that make me feel different from you. It's not because you know who I am that you reject me. It's because I want you to see something you feel like. We feel. We're not really thinkers. We scheme when we think. But we can sure feel one another. It's the language of the heart, huh? So, you know, we, uh, what can I say? Um... He, we moved to Blythe, and I thought I'd, he'd come over and his, uh, we pulled the cattle, the cattle, and took all my furniture. There we are. Um, the cowboy and the pachuca. <laughs> <laughs> Last October the 9th, we celebrated 15 years in, in marriage. <laughs> I thanked him for giving me 15 years of Sundays, and he said it has been mutual. And you know, that is really, really a sign that Alcoholics Anonymous works. My daughters, my daughters are both members of Alcoholics Anonymous. All right. My oldest daughter completed 14 years last December, last May the 20th. And my younger daughter has six and a half years. My younger daughter hit her bottom and somebody gave her a shovel. And she does a cellar in her bottom, and I'll tell you what, she's really is um, a member in good standing. Not that the other one isn't, but it helps to eat shit with a rusty spoon a long time <laughs> to get here. 
And I do walk in the sunlight and the spirit. I took my oldest granddaughter to a conference with me once. And I was putting on a big white blouse that covers a multitude of tortillas and beans. And uh, big white pants. And she looked up at me with a little shiny face and said, Grandma, you look just like tough white angel. And that little girl had a shininess in her face. A love and an acceptance. She's never had to see her grandma so battered she looks like a monster. She's never had to have the batterings that her mother had. She's never seen her grandma. All she's ever seen from me is the love and the approval, you see, about because I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I really don't do anything different today than I did then. If you don't drink and you don't die, you get to be an old-timer also. <laughs> I have many women that call me sponsor, and I have two men that I sponsor. And that may sound unusual, but I'll tell you, uh, any, uh, any old residue of resentment I may have at men, uh, I get it out on them. a dirty woman like I was at uh, 31 years old in a dirty room, uh, filthy house, and can't drink and can be sober, can't live and can't die. There's no road that leads to the sunlight of the Spirit except He has touched me. Thank you.